Hi, friends. This week on the Successfulish podcast, I'm sharing my tips on how to throw a successful pity party, answering questions like, what is a pity party? Is there really such thing as having a successful one? How can we feel our feels without drowning in them? As always, we try to keep our conversations uninterrupted because we like it that way. If you would like to help keep it that way, you can support this podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash successfulish slash support. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Hello, friends. Welcome to Successfulish. I'm Sarah Michelle. And today on the podcast, you are formally invited to my pity party. Yes, I know that may sound weird, but I am going to talk about how to successfully throw a pity party because this is something that has actually come up quite a bit. And this may be one of the strangest topics that I have ever shared about. I don't know that I ever would have anticipated you know, someday I'm going to teach people how to have a pity party. Um, But this is something that I really learned how to do through trial and error. And I've realized that it's actually really important to know how to do this. And as you know, at the beginning of every podcast conversation, every time I have a guest on, I ask people, what is something that they failed at? And it's always odd to me how people have the same answers. And I know that by the time that you are listening to a lot of these episodes, it might not necessarily be um, in the same order that they were recorded in. And a lot of times it's months after something was recorded, but it's fascinating to me that I will record, I don't know, seven or eight episodes in a week and all seven or eight people will have the exact same story of what they struggled with that week. And they'll have the same themes. And I don't know if that's just like moon cycles or energy, or, um, I don't know the, the economics of, uh, a lot of people being in entrepreneurship. Like, I, I don't know what attributes to that or what makes that a thing. Um, but it's a thing and it fascinates me just the common themes. And it also always amazes me and, kind of encourages me, um, how many times that I go into a conversation having felt a certain way or struggled with something. And the guest that I'm talking to will say something that just completely speaks to that and makes me feel seen and heard and validated and encouraged and inspired. And I hope that it does that for you too. Um, I know there's been so many conversations where it, it just works out randomly. And a lot of these calls are booked like months in advance. So there's no way of really preparing for it. It's not like there's something that I struggle with. And then, you know, that day I go out and try to find an expert in that category, but it's just interesting to me how, just, I don't know, the magic of coincidence, I guess, the the magic of um, people being able to share the right words at the right time. And I just think there's something really beautiful about that. And 
One thing that has come up a lot, uh, most often when I ask people what they have failed at, it's usually something to do with time management, which I have also recorded an episode on. Um, so you can check that one out. My tips on time management or what I like to call priority management. Um, but the other thing that comes up a lot is about feeling defeated or discouraged or, just letting the lack of success or the um, increasing difficulty of obtaining success get to them, aka a pity party. And I've had a lot of pity parties. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I I think that in many ways I am incredibly successful in my life, and in many ways I am very content and happy with my life. But there are challenges there. There have just been a lot of challenges and obstacles that I've had to overcome with trying to get my footing in success. And it can feel very defeating and overwhelming, particularly if you find yourself in a situation where you're struggling financially. And it almost, um, when you have those types of stresses and you're missing basic things in your life, like you're missing consistent financial income, or you're missing a healthy community or support system. If you're missing, um, the, a, a private space to like have your own space to think and exist and just be human without, you know, roommates running around or coworkers running around, like if you're missing those basic things, it consumes a very big chunk of your mind and it contributes to a lot of stress. And it, it also, I think, um, I think paired with mental health struggles, I think that I have been very open about my struggles with anxiety and depression. And a lot of that ties into those circumstantial stresses, um, that are very real stresses, but mental health issues affect one in four people. And that's one in four reported people, uh, which basically means at any point in life, someone will struggle with mental health in some capacity. It is extremely natural to have depression, to have anxiety, um, or to have other mental health issues that are kind of getting in the way of your life. And when you have anxiety and depression, or if you have a lot of trauma, um, I have a lot of what is called uh, complex PTSD, CPTSD, um, from various things in my past. And I have been actively working through that. But when you have those things, and I think that, I think everyone has some aspect of trauma in their lives, in their lives has some level of it. And um, that's an entirely separate conversation for another day, but just a quick note on that, that when we think about trauma, there's actually two different kinds. There's capital T trauma, and that's like a big thing that happened, right? That's something like a car accident or a death or an assault or just something really big that happened. And then there's the little T trauma, which many of us have, and that's kind of the category that I fall in for the most part. And that's a bunch of little micro traumas that's developing with, um, with toxic and abusive behaviors and mentalities and, um, having to 
relearn, I guess, or unlearn and relearn. And that process of unlearning and relearning, particularly if you've grown up in, in some kind of an environment that, um, made you not necessarily be able to trust yourself. And I grew up in a very religious environment. So there was a lot of mental gaslighting because I grew up in an environment that basically told you that you couldn't trust yourself because yourself had a sinful nature and, you know, yourself was going to be full of all these sinful hedonistic tendencies. And as a woman, I was taught not only to not really trust myself and to put myself last above trusting God or trusting spiritual leaders. I also was supposed to trust men first. And you're taught with this idea of submission, like you're supposed to be trusting your parents as authorities, and you're supposed to trust the government as authorities, and you're supposed to trust your pastors as authorities, and you're supposed to trust your husband as an authority. And it it puts this idea in your head that you can't trust your own experience. And so you're taught to deny your personal experience over and over and over again. And that process of gaslighting becomes very difficult because as you come out of that, and as you're trying to live your own life and trust your intuition, it's a little bit of a mind fuck of, okay, is this my intuition or is this just like, a satanic influence? Like, is this a hedonistic tendency? And, you know, that's also paired with feeling guilty for being happy. Like you're not supposed to pursue happiness because your happiness is not supposed to be on this earth. It's supposed to be in heaven. And, you know, a lot of those theologies, the implicit messages behind them can just kind of get in your head. And so when you combine all of that and you combine the process of unlearning and you combine like trying to heal through trauma and you combine anxiety and depression and you combine stresses of, you know, inflation, prices are going up, there's wars around the country, there's um, pandemic, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the world. And I also am a very empathetic person. So I feel a lot of this. It's very difficult for me to not feel the challenges of other people. Um, and I, I work really hard to sort of make a protective bubble over myself, but I feel what other people feel. And because of that, a lot of times it's really exhausting and it is so much mental energy just to exist every day. And then you add on top of that, having to do your daily life stuff, like, um, you know, go grocery shopping and run errands and cook and take care of pets, or, you know, maybe you have kids to take care of. And then you add on top of that, that you have a career to show up for, or you have a business to show up for, which is a whole different way of responsibility. So it becomes really exhausting. And I think that a lot of times we are operating on such minimal energy and resources that it doesn't take much when we get that final little blast of an external stress or an external circumstance. It's like, you just want to, you want to wave the white flag. You want to throw the towel in and you end up having a pity party. And I think the thing with that is that when we hear the phrase pity party, it sort of sounds uh, really negative. And, you know, a lot of times we 
kind of are hard on people who are whining and, you know, we ask them if they want some cheese with that wine or we play the world's smallest violin or, you know, we, we rag on people for having pity parties because that's not what you're supposed to do. Like you're supposed to have a good attitude. You're supposed to be proactive. Um, and that's all good and well, but sometimes life is hard and sometimes we just need a minute to have that pity party. And I think that, I think that for me, when I first really started having consistent pity parties was in my thirties and there was a lot going on, like going into 30, it was just a very, it has been a roller coaster of a ride going into my thirties because for the first 30 years of my life, I was deeply immersed in conservative evangelical Christian culture. Uh, I was very much a part of that community. I had corporate jobs um, or ad agency jobs. Like I worked for other people. So my career was sort of set and I, I was married. Like I just had a completely different life and completely different world. And also, um, you know, there were difficult things like right when I came out of college, we were in the middle of a recession. And so it wasn't like optimal. There weren't a million job opportunities, but there were, there were things, um, I was able to pay my bills. I was able to have my own apartment. And as time went on, I feel like the world has become much more challenging. There's, there's just a lot going on right now. And Uh, when I first started my own business, I was in my late twenties and it was pretty easy because I got to do all of the really fun stuff that I'm good at. And I enjoy, I created the company name and the logo and the colors and the brand. And I partnered with someone else who had their own business. So I really didn't have to do any sales, which was the part that I don't enjoy, um, because they did all the sales. And so the clientele was just sort of there and, I just got to show up and help with the strategy and the branding and the things that I enjoy. And when it came to my business, I really didn't have to worry about a business model or profitability um, or providing for my needs because it was just a hobby. Um, It wasn't designed for that. So it didn't really matter if it succeeded or failed. And honestly, in hindsight, I think that I was pretty passive about life at that point. Um, and that's something that I don't know that I was aware of at the time, but I I was in an emotionally abusive marriage. And when you're in those kinds of relationships, you know, we hear the word abuse and we think of something like really obvious. Um, a lot of times it's not a lot of times they're very subtle things that just gradually chip away at your confidence and your self-esteem and your self-worth and you don't really realize that it's happening until it's too late. And in hindsight, like I was pretty passive about life. I sort of just existed. Um, I didn't really have my own major ambitions because, you know, that was my husband's job. Like his job was to be the breadwinner and to be the one who worked up in the career. And I was going to be the one who was raising babies and who did this little hobby business just for fun. And, you know, maybe did some workshops or speaking or writing, but, um, was never, I would never set out to sort of have my own, my own name or my own, um, I never set out to kind of carve out my own space in this world. I I very much like my space was 
the wind beneath the wings of someone else and what they were contributing to the world. And I think that 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 process of going through that, I think that it was a little bit of a whiplash um, having to switch gears. And, you know, as you know, if you've heard my story, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, sort of, uh, right in the midst of family planning and going down that route, um, found myself unexpectedly single and broke. My husband, ex-husband realized that he wasn't ready to be a father or a husband. He stopped talking to me. He drained all of our money, took everything And I found myself in this place of being in a holiday season and unable to find any corporate jobs that were hiring. I had this little hobby business that wasn't making any money. I was recovering from an emotionally abusive relationship. I was unraveling 30 years of a faith that I was deeply immersed in. It was entirely my identity. And I was realizing how much of it was not just untrue, but was harmful. And it was a lot to deal with at one point and at one time. And I also was turning 30, which um, I know that age is just a number. But for me, I really had this vision that I had held for a long time of having babies before I was 30. And 30 was really, for me, that was my finish line. Like once I was in my thirties, I would have the husband, I'd have the kids, I would have savings. I'd have the house, like everything was good. And I was just going to enjoy life. And so, um, to go into my thirties single with no money, renting a room in someone else's house, uh, it was really difficult. And I had a lot of pity parties because I felt overwhelmed. I felt stressed. I felt like a failure. I felt stupid. I felt, um, I just felt really discouraged. And I felt like, firstly, like it was something on me for being in an abusive relationship in the first place, because how did I not know the signs? How did I allow someone to treat me the way that I was treated? How did I believe things that were so blatantly incoherent? And um, there was just a lot of shame and blame that I placed on myself. And I also was comparing myself to other business owners, other people who had had success and sort of feeling like, why can't I do this? Like, why can't I magically grow a business? You know, I could do it for other people. I had had a successful, very successful marketing career. I was very good at helping other people grow their businesses. And, um, I just, I really struggled, not just with making money, growing a business, finding my place in this world, finding my footing after sort of being knocked on my ass, but, Um, I, I struggled with feeling like I was a failure constantly. And I really, I had, it took me a while to realize that I was not a failure. I was actually incredibly resilient and strong. And I just had to figure out how to do a lot with a little 
it is a lot to ask someone to grow a business that sustains the business and themselves with no support, no, um, no financial backing, no community, because I, um, I left the faith community and most of the faith community actually left me in the process of that. Uh, so being alone, I, when I first started trying to really grow my business, I was only making $500 a month. Um, I was living and working in a condo. I was sleeping on a cot in their home office with an older couple that was home all the time and had a lot of toxic tendencies, uh, very well-meaning. And I'm, I'm so thankful for their generosity and hospitality, but there was a lot of, um, a lot of toxic tendencies and criticism and a lot of assuming that I wasn't working if they didn't actually see it and just feeling like I constantly had to prove myself. I ended up moving to Connecticut because it was the only place I could afford. And I ended up in this small town with no one around, nothing around. I knew no one. I had no community to plug into. There was no real networking. I had no money. So if you think about like the, the first little bit of quarantine when people were laid off their jobs unexpectedly and stuck at home. So they had nowhere to go and no money to spend and couldn't be around any people. I basically lived that life a good couple of years before the rest of the world. That was my, that was my reality for a good couple of years before quarantine hit. So actually by the time that COVID came around and quarantine hit, I sort of felt like an expert um, I actually taught some zoom classes on how to work from home. I taught some zoom classes on how to adjust, uh, which was kind of a cool experience to sort of roll up my sleeves and say, all right, friends, like, let me, let me show you how it's done. Cause I've been doing, this is what I've been training for. Like I've been doing this for a while and I've gotten pretty good at it. Um, and then, you know, it was just tough because I, I had finally sort of climbed my way out and was getting to a place of success. I was just about to, to hit that sort of 50 to 60,000 mark, um, which was still less than I'd been making in corporate, but was livable at least. And I was on track to hit that when COVID hit and I immediately lost my freelance job. I lost a bunch of clients because everybody pulled budgets and I went right back to that place of no money, no work, feeling stuck, renting a room, not knowing how to, how to make things work, not knowing, um, uh, wanting to make lemonade, so to speak, but not being able to find any lemons to do so, uh, not being able to find any resources to add to the lemons to do so. And, um, and then I, you know, I had this amazing success of actually having a very good profitable year during COVID. I worked like crazy and was able to somehow sustain enough of my income and make up for all of that. And then, you know, we're going into year two and inflation has hit really hard. Uh, housing prices are crazy. So that dream of saving for a home, people are now, you know, spending half a million dollars on houses that not that long ago were $150,000. Um, rent almost everywhere is crazy. 
my, my landlord, I had this really amazing opportunity where I had this great basement apartment and the landlord decided to sell the house. And so that meant that rent was going to go up at least double, if not triple. So it was just a lot, like that's a lot to deal with. And I would find myself feeling really defeated. And one thing that I noticed, I was that I really, I really needed to pay attention to what was going on around me because I think the thing with a pity party is that we often feel like we're the only person struggling. And I think that we feel that way because we allow shame to prevent us from being open and honest. And when I started actually opening up and talking to people, and it didn't have to be explicitly graphic detail, but when I started opening up and telling people, I'm struggling, I'm stressing, this is what I'm going through. And I thought that they would sort of look at me with pity. And um, what I found instead was nine out of 10 uh, times that I would tell people different things that were going on in my life, they would open up and say, oh my God, I have the same struggle. And I would find out that they were actually making the same amount, if not less than I was, or they had the same um, stresses that I did with work, with home, with whatever was going on. And I think that that is a really important part of not being stuck. I think that it's one thing to throw a pity party and to feel the feelings. I think it's another to stay there. And I remember reading this book years ago by Beth Moore, um, who I, I no longer, uh, I no longer, um, what's the word? We don't see eye to eye on all of the same views as we once did. However, I, I have always been a fan of Beth Moore. Um, she's a very bubbly, spunky Texas personality. And I used to do a lot of Beth Moore Bible studies back in high school, college, early 20s. And I remember reading this book called Get Out of That Pit. And she had this great visual where she talked about, you know, sometimes we dig our own pit right? We're having a pity party and there's nothing else to do. So we dig our own pit. And sometimes we get thrown into a pit, like life digs a pit for us and kicks us in and we land on our ass and we didn't choose to be in the pit, but there we are. There we are chilling in the pit. And she has this great analogy where there's a difference of, you know, you find yourself in the pit, however you get in there, whether you put yourself in there, whether someone else put you in there, But then you can choose to either be creative and find a way to climb out of the pit, or you can get cozy in the pit. And she had this great visual of um, ordering up a Barca lounger and hanging pictures on the wall and calling for pizza delivery. And I, that visual was such a powerful thing because I think that many of us are prone to that, you know, life happens, we find ourselves in the pit. And maybe initially we try to climb ourselves out, but then a little more dirt gets shoved in or, you know, something happens and we're like, all right, well, I guess I can't climb out. So we get comfortable. We order the Barca lounger. We hang the pictures. We, we get comfortable in the pit and that keeps us stuck and that keeps us from moving forward. And the other unfortunate thing about that is that oftentimes what we need to get out of the pit is the help of other people and other resources. 
But when we are having a pity party in our pit and we are negative, we start to project that like a palpable stink. It's almost like I picture Pepe Le Pew when he's trying to flirt with, I think it was a cat that he was flirting with. And you just see the odor, just the little green waves coming off of him. And that's what happens when we make our pity parties public. We, we end up pushing away the very people and resources and opportunities that could get us out of that pit and make our lives better because we're not focused on solutions. We're just focused on the problem. And I think that it's okay to, to feel your feels. I think it's okay to feel defeated, to feel overwhelmed. Like, listen, guys, the world is heavy right now. It's a lot. There's a lot. And it's a lot that, you know, at least in my generation, I wasn't prepared for because I grew up being told if you go to school, you get the degree, you get the job, you get the husband. I sort of just thought that that was assumed that that's what happened, that you could save up. And if you worked hard, you could find solutions. And you know what? The reality in today's world is that working hard is not enough. Working hard is great, but working hard is not a magic button to having solutions because there are still external forces and circumstances that make success difficult. So it has to be a combination of working hard, of knowing the right people, of having the right timing, getting lucky. There's so many different pieces that go into it. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that and to be able to discern between what we can actually do and take responsibility for. And if we are going to be harsh on ourselves, you know, are we just being accountable? Are we calling ourselves out in the ways that we can do better? Or are we being unfairly hard on ourselves for circumstances we have no control over? So part of what I learned through that process of my life really changing radically as the world was changing radically, part of what I learned was how to shorten the party, how to shorten the pity party, how to have a pity party, feel the feels, but then move on and continue walking towards success. And I had to learn how to not give in to the temptation to sit in the bark lounger and hang the paintings and order the pizza. So uh, with that background, I just wanted to give a little context for where I'm coming from to say that um, I don't say any of this in a flippant way. I'm not coming at this from sort of a um, a spoiled space of, you know, just pull yourself up and, you know, you don't have to like, life is good. You don't have to dwell on things. Like I'm coming at this from a space of intimately understanding struggle and intimately understanding stress and coming from a place of being incredibly empathetic towards life's hardships. And I, I think that no matter where we are in life, no matter what kinds of blessings and privileges and resources we have available to us, every single person has some kind of hardship in some capacity. 
And it doesn't need to be compared. Like just because someone has it worse than you do doesn't mean that it invalidates your struggle and what you're going through. Um, but I do think that it can help us weigh our struggles more appropriately and to acknowledge that we have struggles without making it seem like it's just the end all be all. I think sometimes we give it a little too much weight. So I'm going to share my tips on how to have a successful pity party. So the first tip is to feel your feels. I, this is one of my mantras that I say all the time. Um, I think it's incredibly rude to silver line someone else's cloud. I think that it is important to feel your feels. I think that it's important to identify how you're feeling and to be honest. And, you know, I think that there is such a thing as discernment. Um, I don't know that you have to like be telling your bank teller or the person behind you in line at the grocery store, like every problem that's going on in your life, like, you know, exercise some self-control, get some people skills, but it is okay. Like you don't have to tell yourself or tell other people that you're fine. If you're not, it's okay to be honest and to say, you know what? I'm not fine. You know what? I am struggling. I am stressed. I am hurting. I am anxious. That's my first tip. Identify how you're feeling And this might be challenging. I find that this is particularly challenging for men because often men are taught to not feel, um, to, you know, just suck it up and move on. And, um, I actually, I've worked with a lot of men where they don't even have words to identify their emotions. And oftentimes anger is the only emotion that is considered appropriate for men to share. And so they react in anger no matter what they're feeling, because that's the only emotion they can attach it to. So if you find yourself in a situation, and this is not only men, um, there's certainly women that are, that have this experience as well. If you find yourself in a situation where you are struggling to identify what you're feeling, Google a list of feelings and emotions and look through that list and sort of circle or highlight the ones that describe how you're feeling. And it might feel awkward at first. It might feel a little weird, but if you can identify how you're feeling, that's a really good starting point in being able to actually address that feeling and emotion. Because first of all, you need to validate it. Don't gaslight yourself. Don't tell yourself that you're fine if you're not. Don't tell yourself that you're angry if you're really sad or you're really stressed. Whatever that emotion is, figure out how to identify it, how to describe it, and then allow yourself to feel it. And I think that there's two extremes on this spectrum. There are the people who probably need to feel a little less. Um, There's the people who are extremely emotional and emotionally driven. And I think that it is very important to feel all your feels. And I do not think that being emotional is a negative thing at all, but I do think that there's a time and place and that emotions need to live within boundaries. So if you find yourself on that end of the spectrum where you are just reacting to everything and you're just extremely emotional to the point where you are just hot and cold on people, I think that it's important to set aside time for you to for you to identify the feelings, but then have some personal time to work through it. 
because while I do think you need to feel your feels and work through them, I don't think you need to subject everyone in your world to working through them with you. I think that there's a way to have a professionalism and, um, to, to carve out space to handle your emotions and deal with your emotions in a mature manner. I also think on the other end of the spectrum, there's people where emotion is very difficult. It feels, um, maybe shameful, or maybe it feels inappropriate, or maybe it feels girly. Um, maybe we have negative connotations that we've associated with being emotional. I know for me, uh, I definitely associated the word emotional or the word sensitive as a negative of, you know, you're supposed to suck it up. You're not supposed to be an emotional person. You're supposed to be level-headed. You're supposed to be even tempered. And you know what? You can actually be more level-headed and even tempered if you know how to properly identify your emotions. I think that part of what um, keeps me regulated and keeps me from being hot and cold on people. And I get a lot of feedback from people that um, I have a very consistently chill personality. And part of that is being from Southern California. We just tend to have a little bit more chill. Um, we have a little more chill than uh, downtown Boston or New York or DC, other places that I have lived since California. But I also think that a lot of it has to do with outletting my emotions in appropriate ways, because a lot of times what happens, especially with emotions like anger, if we tell ourselves that we can't be emotional, if we tell ourselves that we can't be sad or we can't be angry or we can't be whatever, they end up coming out in weird ways. They get stuck inside our body and I, that may sound a little woo woo and weird, but there's actually a lot of science. Um, I encourage you to Google it, to research this. There's a lot of science about how emotions store themselves in our body and how they can actually end up manifesting in physical pain and illnesses and all kinds of things. So it's really important to identify our feelings and to process them properly and for me, uh, you know, growing up as a good church girl and submissive wife, anger was not a feeling that I was really allowed to access. And what I think is interesting about anger is that women traditionally are not supposed to access that feeling, but men, that's the only feeling that they can access. So it creates this really weird dynamic where a lot of men are walking around a little ragey about things that they don't really need to be that ragey about. And um, for a lot of people, when they feel like they can't operate or they can't access that feeling of anger, it pops out in things like passive aggressiveness. It pops out in little passive aggressive snarky comments, little snippiness um, so if you find yourself feeling passive aggressive, if you find yourself feeling resentful, if you find yourself feeling, um, jealous or feeling like, um, feeling like you are a nice person and you're always doing nice things for other people and it's just never coming back your way. And you find yourself sort of in that place of upset you probably have some anger that is manifesting in unhealthy ways and you need to find a way to let it out. 
Um, for me personally, I have a lot of anger. Um, that is an emotion that I, uh, I just have a lot of anger and it's not, it's not like a moody, mad at everything anger. It's that as someone who is very empathetic and very feeling, um, I have a lot of anger towards injustices. I have a lot of anger towards good people who are wronged. I have a lot of anger towards unfair stresses, um, towards uh, people who hurt other people, whether intentionally or not. And I think that learning how to accept that as a good and positive thing and finding ways to release it in a healthy way made a really big influence, uh, impact in my life. And for me, part of how I do that, first of all, is honesty. I think with any emotion that you're feeling, honesty is super important to identify I'm feeling angry about this. And this is why I'm feeling angry about this. And this is what I think I can do about it. And you can literally say it with that calm of tone. Anger does not have to be yelling and screaming. You can identify the emotion and then very calmly and maturely and logically work your way through it. Um, I also like to release my emotions physically. And so, uh, as you probably know, I train in Krav Maga, I train in Muay Thai boxing and, um, the, the boxing and being able to punch and kick and literally fight for me is extremely cathartic and just being able to sort of, um, connect it with my emotions. And usually if I am boxing, I'm usually completely tuned out to whatever music is playing. Um, I tend to have very opposite music taste than the boxing instructor. Uh, they listen to just terrible music, you know, the kind where they're like screaming like metal stuff, which no offense if that's your jam. Um, but that just does nothing for me. And, uh, there's another instructor who listens to a lot of eighties music and, another one who listens to music that I don't even know how to describe. Um, but it's not something like that I can work out to. And so I tend to tune it out completely and just channel whatever I'm feeling and sort of have an internal dialogue in my head that I'm connecting as I am fighting. And maybe for you, it's not physically fighting. Maybe you don't enjoy boxing the same way that I do. Maybe it's running. Maybe it's taking really long hikes. Maybe it's bike riding or swimming or, um, I don't know, jump roping, like whatever it is. Maybe you go to a shooting range. Maybe you take up archery. Maybe you take up knife throwing. I don't know. Like you do you, but in some way, if you can figure out how to connect your emotional self to your physical self, that becomes really helpful in being able to restore alignment with yourself, that sort of mind, body, soul connection. And it can help you move those emotions literally through and out of your body so that they don't stay trapped inside. And again, if this is a new concept for you, I know how nutty that sounds because I know the first time I heard it, I thought that that was a little silly and I didn't really take it that seriously. Um, but I encourage you to Google the science of it. And I do think that something really amazing happens when we have that mind, soul, body connection. And when we're in alignment with ourselves, 
everything just tends to flow much better because we're not at war, excuse me, we're not at war with ourselves. And I think that there's enough challenges and obstacles in this world that I don't need to add to that list by making my life harder than it needs to be. So that's tip number one, um, feel your feels. Number two is to weed your obstacles. So what I mean by this is that many times when we are feeling the stress, when we're having our pity party, when we're feeling obstacles, we get a little dramatic and we tend to add obstacles to the list that are not actually obstacles, or we add obstacles to the list that we actually have easy solutions to. And we're not really thinking logically about how much weight to give any given thing. So weed your obstacles, write down all of the obstacles and challenges, write down all of the reasons, the valid reasons to have your pity party, write them all down, and then start to figure out if you can actually do anything about them. And if you can't, can you connect with people who can? Are there people in your circle, in your network or can you go find people? Um, a lot of times the problems or challenges that I have, I don't have anyone in my circle that can help me solve it, but I can look for people with certain job titles or certain connections on LinkedIn, or I can look in the classifieds, or I can ask friends, Hey, I'm looking for this. Do you know anyone who could be able to help me with this? So think about if there's anyone that you can connect with who might be able to help you do something that you can't do for yourself. And then sort of start creating your own dominoes. Figure out what you'll do first that will set up the rest and then just focus on that one thing. And there may be some things, some obstacles that you really can't do anything about ever. It's just out of your control and it is completely valid to feel stressed and upset about that. Um, but if you really can't do anything about it, just move it to the bottom of the list, acknowledge that it sucks but kind of just put it to the bottom and focus on what you can do something about and figure out how you're going to line up those dominoes so that you can start with something that you can actually control. So for example, when I was looking at big stresses, like I needed to find an affordable place to live, but in order to do that, I had to find income. But in order to do that, I had to connect with people who could bring me income, whether it was clients, whether it was working for someone else. So I can't do anything about the housing situation without money. I can't do anything about the money situation without connections. So what I can do is I can network like crazy. I can reach out and introduce myself to people and grow my network and I can pitch different sources and submit media articles and write for different people. And I can, um, speak on a podcast. I can speak on other people's podcasts. I can boost my PR efforts. I can go to networking events. I can reach out to friends. These are things that I can do. Um, other things that I can do, I can organize and clean the spaces that I have because our external environment often prompts our internal environment. That's something that I do have control over. So I can choose in a given day, I'm going to do laundry and dishes and I'm going to vacuum everything and then I'll feel better because everything will be clean and organized. Um, I can go train. 
I can go work out my anger at the dojo. I can go work out. I can take a hike with my dogs. I can read a book and get new ideas and inspiration. I can watch a new TV show and get inspiration. What are the things that you can do? Focus on that. And a lot of times the stress is just being overwhelmed because we're looking at everything at once. And that's overwhelming. You can't take on everything at once, but you can take on one thing at once. So start to really be honest about your obstacles and weed through them. Which ones need to go to the bottom of the list? Which ones, once you say them out loud or write them down, have really easy solutions or maybe aren't actually real problems? You might find some of that and that's totally cool. Get rid of them, cross them off your list, but start to figure out what you can do and then do it. Number three, set a time limit. This is huge. Guys, huge. Set a time limit for your pity party. Every party has to come to an end eventually. Every good party has an ending time. I promise you. And I know that there are ragers that go forever and ever and ever, but I'm telling you, once a party goes past a certain amount of time, nothing good comes from that. That is when people are so drunk that they do stupid things and they wake up next to people that they shouldn't have fallen asleep next to. That's just when bad stuff happens, okay? Set yourself a time limit. Do not party longer than you should party. And this is huge with having a pity party. So sometimes when I'm feeling really stressed and overwhelmed and I know that I have shit to do, I've got stuff scheduled in my day. I have to show up. I have to show up whether it's for training or a podcast or a client. I do not have time to be in a negative zone. And if I have this negative energy, that is just going to push away the client that I do have. That is going to push away the opportunity or the relationship that I do have. So sometimes it is as short as five minutes. I have a five minute pity party. And for five minutes, it is a raging bitch fest. I feel my feels. I think about all my obstacles. I wallow. I let it all out. Maybe I punch something. Maybe I drop some F-bombs, whatever it is. Maybe I uh, eat a bag of Ruffles and onion dip. That's like my go-to. Maybe yours is ice cream or pizza or whatever. Whatever it is, I will give myself, okay, I have five minutes. Sometimes I have a little longer. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. Sometimes I give myself a whole night. There's been times where it's just been a rough week and I have said, you know what? On a Friday night, I am going to get some junk food. I'm going to watch some movies. I am going to spend a day in my pajamas, kind of loafing around the house, feeling sorry for myself. But at the end of that allotted time, you got to move on. So even if I give myself an entire weekend day to be lazy and loaf and feel sorry for myself, come Monday, I am up, I am putting on my big girl panties and I am moving on with life. You have to give yourself a time limit. And when you have spent that time on your pity party, move on, put on your big girl pants, your big boy pants. And go start implementing some of those solutions that you found when you were weeding out your obstacles. Go do something because no matter how stressful or crazy or sad or frustrating or whatever your life is, you're not fixing it by sitting on your ass and whining. That is not fixing anything. 
In fact, it is going to make it worse because the more that you dwell on it, the more that you allow your brain to go down that negative cycle, you're going to feel that shift from this is hard. This is an obstacle I have to overcome to life is hard. Life is an obstacle I have to overcome. And you're going to start to shift from a certain thing being difficult or feeling like a failure to you personally feeling like a failure. And the language that we use with that is so important. And it is so important that we do not allow ourselves to be taken over by life. It doesn't get to win. You get to be in charge of your life and you can't control what life throws at you. You can't control your childhood, your environment, your background, your experience, your, um, I don't, your worldview that you have from where you came from, you can't control a lot. You can't change your past. You can't magically change your circumstances, but you do have choice with what you're going to do with it and what you're going to think about it and how you're going to feel about it. You get to be in charge of that narrative. You get to decide what the next chapter is going to move towards. So give yourself a time limit, feel your feels, think about the obstacles, and then move on, move on, be productive and get it done. Don't dwell in the pity party. Don't order pizza and artwork to your pit. Uh, The next is to actually move on. I want to talk about what that looks like, because a lot of times I think that we hear this idea of moving on and it seems really flippant and we don't really know what that means. And I think that this can be different for every person, but I am going to do my best to articulate some actual tangible ways to move on because A lot of times, I think when we think about moving on, we think that that means that the problem is gone and that's not true. And I think that's a lot of times what keeps us dwelling in the pit because we want to move on, but we still have the problem. We still have the financial struggle. We still have the relationship struggle. We still have the job struggle, whatever it is, the world is still hard, or maybe the world gets even harder and throws another curveball. So we can't move on in the sense of just magically getting rid of the problem. But I do think that we can move on by having a positive attitude and mindset and truly, however you want to think about this law of attraction, manifestation, positive attitude, whatever word you want to throw at it, we do naturally tend to data mine. And what that means is that we look for evidence that supports what we believe. We all do this. If we believe that a certain political or religious or racial group is bad, we will look for evidence that supports that. If we believe it's good, we will look for evidence that supports that. If we believe that we can or can't, we are right. I'm sure you've heard that quote before. I stand by it. What you are looking for, you will find. So I can't tell you how many times I have wanted to work with a business owner and rather than acknowledging that I'm trying to work with them and showing how great they are at what they do, 
they will instead complain about how they're struggling, they can't find clients or they can't find good clients, which first of all is a little hurtful because I like to think I'm a good client. And secondly, it's frustrating because you're watching this person and you're seeing these solutions right in front of them and they're missing it because they're not looking for it. They're looking for the negatives. They're looking for reasons that they're going to fail. They're looking for reasons that people won't want to work with them. I see the same thing in romantic relationships. I have spent time with guys who I was romantically interested in, and yet they spend the entire time complaining about being single and how they can't find any girls who are into them. And let me tell you, that is pretty much an instant direction. Um, not into that. Nobody wants to be with someone who doesn't want to be with himself. And nobody wants to be with someone who spends the whole time complaining that they're not with someone else. Like it's a little hurtful. It usually indicates to me that they're not into me. And I think that what's crazy about that is that if we just opened our eyes, if we believed that opportunities were all around us, if we believed that this world was abundant with opportunities and with the things that we wanted, I think we would find a lot more of it. So I think that that is a huge part of moving on is believing that we can. I think you have to believe that this is not where your story ends. I think you have to believe that you can move on. And One of the best visual examples for this, um, I started watching The Amazing Race this year because the Holderness family was competing and um, they don't know who I am, but I have been following them for a long time. I think even before they released their Christmas jammies video, uh, they're a really cute couple. They, um, They do all these like funny music videos on YouTube and I've been following them for a long time. So I feel like I know them even though they don't know I exist. But anyway, I found out they were competing on the amazing race and I wanted to cheer on my friends. I had never watched the show before. um, So I started watching it and uh, spoiler alert, they won and are the oldest team in amazing race history to win, which I think is amazing. And just what a cool thing to show their kids and to show um, anyone that like age is a mindset. Like little teamwork, a little hustle, a little motivation, like you can accomplish anything. Um, so super proud of them. But one of the challenges that they had, and they were down to, I want to say like the last four teams, it was towards the end. They had this challenge called no stone unturned and they were, gosh, I don't even remember. They might've been in Greece. I might be wrong about that, Um, but they were somewhere in this big, beautiful world. And there was this giant like rock quarry or courtyard. I don't even know what to call it, but there were thousands of stones in this little rock garden and under four of them were gold coins and they had to turn every stone until they found the gold coin. And you would think that that would be easy enough because you just like turn all the stones, but you couldn't leave them face up and you couldn't stack them. You had to put them back exactly the way that you left them. And when you've got four people doing it, I mean, you can't keep track of which stones you've turned and which ones you haven't. And it was a really interesting challenge to watch because This challenge almost broke several people. Um, 
one team in particular, it was, they had been in first most of the season and you could see in this challenge, they were turning these stones for over four hours, I think. And it almost broke them. You could see it. And, you know, with the Holderness family, you could tell with her, like her anxiety was flaring up and it was interesting because it was such a powerful visual because as the home viewer, you know, where the gold coins are, they're showing you. And it was so frustrating to watch because there were times where people literally had their hand on the stone that had the gold coin. And they didn't turn it over either because they thought they already did, or they just missed it or whatever. And watching that was really interesting because I think a lot of times that is how life feels. Um, That's how entrepreneurship feels. That's how, that's just how life feels. It feels sometimes like we have turned over every fucking stone and we think There can't possibly be another stone to turn. I have turned every stone. I have tried everything. I have done everything that I can do and nothing is working. And when we get to that point, we find ourselves kind of embracing the pit. We find ourselves like, you know what? Fuck it. I have turned every stone. There is no solution. I'm going to order a Barca lounger. I am accepting my fate. And what was really interesting about this challenge was that they knew that there were four gold coins. And I really think that that belief is quite literally the only thing that kept them going. Because imagine if they didn't know. You would not spend your time flipping over every stone if you did not know that one of them had what you were looking for. And I thought that this was a really powerful visual for life of just the mindset of the importance of believing that one of these stones is going to have that gold coin. If we show up, if we do the right habits, if we network with the right people, if we do the work, if we have the right attitude, if we do the things, if we show up every day, we're going to be successful. You can't show up every day as your best self and not be successful in some day. Something is going to break. And I think that that belief is really important with moving on. I think we have to believe that we can move on. And sometimes this is incredibly difficult, particularly if you are in a culture that is sort of um, not motivated, if you're in a culture of defeat, if you are surrounded by people who are giving up, if you're surrounded by people with negative attitudes, it's really hard to climb out of that. And, you know, I know we've talked on this podcast before about the, I don't know if it's crabs or lobsters, um, maybe both about how they will try to climb out of the net. And if one tries to climb out, the others will actually grab it and pull it back down. And that's how culture works. It is really hard when you are the one that is trying to climb out and trying to make a better life. And it is really important that you find other people who are, I don't want to say better than you are because that's not the right language. Um, I am trying to think of the right language. More successful doesn't work either, but find people who are able to challenge you and pull you up. Find people where you are not the smartest one in the room. You are not the most successful person in the room. 
find people who can inspire you and encourage you. And that's so important for one, because I think that we, we need lines to color within sometimes. I think sometimes we need to know that something is possible to inspire that creativity of how to get there. So I think that we need to see people being successful to believe or to even have a framework for what success looks like. Um, I also think that oftentimes criticism and critique and like, you know, the, the crabs that are pulling you back down, it's usually people that are not as successful. I, I would challenge that if ever, I don't know if there's ever someone who is a critic who is more successful. Usually all the criticism that I've received in my life has come from people who are living lives that I would not want to emulate. And a lot of times that comes from projection. And when people are telling you that you can't do something, it's because they've been told that they can't do it. They don't believe in themselves. Therefore, they can't believe in you. And because they've been conditioned that way, they feel like they need to protect you by conditioning you that way. And I think that it's really important to have people in our circles, in our lives. And there are so many people who are willing to do that. Um, It's amazing to me how many people I have reached out to who I have no business talking to. And they've been willing to respond to me or to have a virtual coffee or to let me pick their brain. They've been willing to um, offer their insight and their expertise. And it doesn't mean that they're going to solve the problem for you. They might, maybe you'll really impress them and they'll introduce you to the person that changes your life. Or maybe you'll impress them and they are the connection that you need. They're the ones who are going to invest or they're the ones who are going to publish the book or they're the ones who happen to need a whatever it is that you do. But either way, I think that it's really important to surround yourself with people who can remind you what's possible and to believe in yourself. I think it's also important to focus on the solutions that you listed out and start checking them off. And even if that is really simple things, like, listen, if the only thing you can check off is that you have cleaned and organized your living space. Awesome. Do something to gain momentum. There's something about being able to check things off a list that once we've done things, it keeps us going. The hardest part of anything is getting started. So if we can ignite that, and that can be something simple, like, you know what, every day I'm going to call one person or I'm going to reach out to one person on LinkedIn, or I'm going to um, walk around the block, or I'm going to walk around my house, like wherever your starting point is, pick something that you can do and start doing it. Start checking things off your list because a lot of times what keeps us in the pit is feeling like we're not moving forward, feeling like we're stuck. And it's really important to remind ourselves that we're not stuck. We are moving forward. And maybe there's one particular thing or a few particular things that we're not getting traction in, but we are still moving forward. And it's really important to see that and to remember that. Other things that are really important, um, practicing gratitude. There is a lot of really awesome science about that in about 21 days, you can quite literally rewire your brain. And if you write down every day, like three things, that's it. 
just start thinking about three things that you are thankful for every day and be specific to things in that day. If you can, uh, once you start doing that, you will actually train your brain to look for things to be thankful for, and you'll start to find more opportunities. So that is really important practice. And there's a lot of science behind, um, gratitude and happiness and success. I, I really encourage you to look into that. Um, people who are, who practice gratitude and are happier tend to be more successful, even if they are not as qualified and trained and educated as other people. There are people who are incredibly trained and qualified and educated, and they are not successful because they are negative. So super important to have a positive energy to practice gratitude. And sometimes that is really hard. Sometimes you might have to work really hard to find ways to be thankful, but that will make a huge difference. And the more that you practice that, the more you will find opportunities. And I can tell you that I wasn't totally sold on the science of this, Um, but every time I have been consistent with practicing gratitude and I've written things down every day, I've tripled my income and I, I three different times because I am not the greatest admittedly at being consistent with habits. And so I would do it and I would triple my income and then things were good and I would stop practicing and I would either plateau or it would go back down and then I would do it again and I would triple the income again. Um, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Even if your circumstances do not change your mindset, your heart set, your attitude, the way that you look at it has a substantial impact on your success. And lastly, with that affirmations. And I will be the first to admit, I am not a huge fan of affirmations. I think they're cheesy. I think they're uncomfortable. Um, I don't like them, but I cannot deny that they work and that they are powerful. And I think that I have had to work on finding affirmations that I can say with sincerity, um, because I am just, I am not a woo-woo kind of person. I am not an affirmations, manifestation, vision board person. And I'm not knocking anyone who is. I have a lot of friends that live in that world and I love them and I love that they are into that and I support it for them. It's just not my personality. Like that's not my jam. But I think that there are ways to find things like, uh, for example, with vision boards, I'm not really one for arts and crafts. I'm not really one to sit and cut things out and put them on a vision board, but I do think that it's important to have your goals in front of you. So for me, my quote vision board, I have little note cards that I actually have written out on goals and I have things like, um, having a 10 K month. And every time that I have achieved that I've written the date under that goal because it was accomplished. I have goals like, um, become a best-selling author, publish a book, uh, which would be the first step to becoming a best-selling author, um, be a keynote speaker. And every time I've done that, I've written the dates and I stare at that every day. And there is something to be said for having what we want in front of us. So I think that even if something doesn't necessarily work for you, find a way that it does. So for me with affirmations, I really think about 
what are some affirmations that I can get behind? Um, and a lot of times for me, that looks like going backwards and I don't know the word for it, a, a D affirmation. I don't know. Is that the word? I actually look for quote D affirmations. I look for the negative beliefs that I have and I look for evidence that supports otherwise. And I'm going to talk more about this in uh, the episode of talking back to imposter syndrome and exactly how to do that. But as a quick reference point, if you find yourself telling yourself something like you can't do something or you're not qualified for something, if it's true, do something about it. If it's not true, write down evidence that proves that it's wrong because a lot of times our subconscious needs some logic. And if we can have a logical, rational discussion and we can affirm ourselves, for me, my affirmations are not necessarily, you know, I am a bold, beautiful, sexy, wonderful human. That's not really my kind of affirmation. My affirmations are more based on real things that I have done. So I might say things like, I have had multiple 10K months. I can have consistent 10K months because logically, if I have done it before, I can do it again. And I've done it several times, which means I can do it several more times. If I have been a keynote speaker and it was received well, there are more stages that want me to speak. Whatever those goals are, Affirm yourself. And I like to affirm myself based on what I actually have accomplished and to remind myself. And what I think is interesting about this is that a lot of times when I try to throw a pity party, if I try to tell someone, if I tell friends, I'm stressed, I'm going to have a panic attack. I, you know, I struggle with anxiety, no shame. Periodically, when I'm really, really stressed, a panic attack pops out. And when I tell friends that that's what I'm going through, what is amazing and sometimes annoying is how many of them will respond by telling me, you know, Sarah, it's just weird to me that you are worried about this because this just doesn't seem like a big deal compared to what you've done in the past. And they will remind me of things that I've accomplished and they'll remind me like, you know what? I know that you're stressed about finding a new place to live and generating more income, but do you remember when you were making no money and had no place to live and were trying to go through a divorce? And like, do you remember when all that was going on and you somehow figured out how to be really successful? And now you don't have like half those negative things going on. So it just feels like it should be easier. And it is annoying um, because sometimes it feels like when you are a really strong, resilient person, I don't think anybody wants to be a strong or resilient person. Those are not qualities that I think anyone seeks after. I've never met anyone who was strong and resilient who said, yeah, I really wanted to be strong and resilient. So I really sought after this because the only way to be strong and resilient is to work through a lot of shit. It's to have a lot of crap to overcome and it's not something that we want, And I think that often what is really challenging is that we forget to check on our strong friends. We see the strength and resilience, and we assume that that's just natural for them. 
and that they have it figured out. And the example that I use when I talk to friends about how I'm struggling, and I, I think firstly, we also need to realize that success and struggle go hand in hand. I think that there is still this misconception that someone is either really successful and happy and everything is hunky-dory going well, or someone is failing and flailing and life is hard. It can 1000% be both. You can absolutely be successful and put together and hold yourself together in a room, but also feel like your world is crumbling. They can coexist. Um, So firstly, we need to realize that having struggle and being open about struggle and stress and hardship does not disqualify the success and the positive attributes that also exist. There is no shame in being open about struggle. And I think that if we can be more open and honest about what we're actually struggling with, we won't have to have as many pity parties because if we're open about struggle and we stop stigmatizing it and shaming it, we're probably going to find more people who can introduce us to more solutions faster. So separate little side rant on that. Um, But the analogy that I've used when I have explained to people how it feels when people tell me that I'm strong, I'll figure it out because that's the response that I get most often than not like, well, you're smart. You'll figure it out. Well, like, I have no doubt you got this. You'll figure it out. Like you're resilient. You've done it before. Sometimes it feels like you're drowning and you are just flailing about. You're trying to tread water. Your head keeps going under. You are drowning and people are going by you. Some people have really modest like kayaks or rowboats. Some people have yachts, but you're watching people go by you who have every ability to reach out and to save you or to help you. And you're trying to tell people, Hey, I'm drowning. I need help. And instead of helping you, they affirm you by saying things like, Oh, well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. You're a really good swimmer. You're like, well, remember that time that you like swam across the English channel? Like you got this, like you've always been able to swim before. It's not that that's not encouraging, but that's not helpful when someone is drowning. Sometimes what they need is just a freaking life preserver. And I think that it's, it's important to not not take over people's challenges. I think that um, if you feel like you're drowning, it's not necessarily fair to expect someone else to jump off their boat and try to save you like they're on their own mission, doing their own thing. But I do also think that it's okay to acknowledge struggle and to be honest. And I think that it's important to surround ourselves with people who can understand And people who can remind us and affirm us of what is going on, but who also can sort of just sit with us, you know, they can bring over the bottle of whiskey or the bag of potato chips, whatever they can sit and listen and acknowledge the feels and then encourage us to move on. I think that it's really important to have friends and community that also know how to appropriately go through our pity party with us. So those are my tips for having a successful pity party. Feel your feels, weed your obstacles, set a time limit, 
and move on. And a couple other quick tips um, and thoughts about having a pity party. Uh, It is natural to want other people at your party. Parties are great with extra people, but be mindful of being selfish. Um, I think that, like I said, it's totally okay to have a friend just come sit with you. I've definitely invited friends to my pity party and I've just asked them to, to hug me for a little bit or to come over and like bitch with me about life for a little bit. Um, but I also am really mindful of not hijacking people or emotionally hijacking people. So if I call someone, if I invite someone over, I will tell them, Hey, I'm really stressing. Do you have capacity for this right now? And I think that's a really important question because I think we've all been in a situation where we are treading water of our own and we are already at the breaking point and about to throw a pity party. And someone comes in and hijacks and just dumps all their stuff on us. And it's just too much. And frankly, it's selfish. And I think it's really important to not be selfish. I think that it's important to ask people, do you have capacity for me to talk about this? And I think that there are many things that we can share with friends. There are some things that maybe you need a therapist or a coach or an objective person where that's what they're doing. Um, friends are not supposed to be therapists or coaches. So I think it's important to have boundaries and discernment in that regard. Um, and I think that it's important also to, when you feel your feels, be mindful and honest about where you're at so that you do not become that person who just emotionally hijacks anyone who will listen. And I think that, um, I think that many of us just need to use our words. There are people all over this world who are hurting and who have a lot going on. And it becomes easy to take advantage of anyone who has an ear. And I think that it is really important to be responsible for our own pity party and to be respectful of not forcing a party on someone, um, to invite someone to the party and give them the option to decline if they have other plans that night. And I think it's really important to share positive energy and not negative energy because you never know who is already in the middle of a pity party or a struggle. And there have been a lot of times where I have been struggling to, I am doing my best to have a positive attitude. I am doing my best to have positive energy. And maybe I really need to have positive energy because I'm about to go into a client meeting, or I'm about to speak on a keynote stage, or I'm about to do something that requires me to bring my best because I owe that to my clients. I owe them my best energy. And I have actually um, become very protective where if I have a client meeting or if I have some kind of workshop that I'm teaching or keynote or anything where I need to give positive energy to someone, I actually will silence my phone. I won't take calls that day. I won't um, schedule other calls because I don't want to take the chance that someone could dump negative energy on me. And it happens sometimes, right? We get emotionally hijacked. You're trying to be hyped up. You want to bring your best to a situation. And right before someone starts complaining about how hard life is, or someone starts complaining about how annoying a person is, or someone starts whining about whatever. And I think that it's really important 
that we are mindful of that. And I know that I'm very protective with my own energy. Um, and I've had to tell people before, you know, I, I don't mean to be insensitive. I would love to talk about this another time, but right now I don't have the capacity for this. And I, it is completely okay to say that that does not make you an asshole. It is okay to have boundaries and to tell someone, I love you. I care about you. I'm sorry that you're hurting. Can we talk about this tonight? Can we talk about this tomorrow? Can we talk about this Saturday? You know what? Have boundaries. And at the same time, be conscious of if you're doing that to other people. I think it's really important to not be selfish and to not um, force other people to be a part of our pity parties. And lastly, ditch the drama. A lot of times we get really dramatic because we sort of have this belief that other people don't have these ups and downs, which is crazy because everybody does. Um, I can tell you that I have talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people, and I've never run into someone who doesn't have ups and downs. So I think it's really important to ditch the drama and to accept the ebbs and flows that life is a mixed bag. Because I think what happens is that we have a positive thing and we're like, oh, okay, I'm going to be positive. But then something negative happens and we're like, oh, well, that just figures. I have the worst luck. I'm cursed. Like it's negative again. Like we get so dramatic about it and we think that it's personal and it's not. Life is just a mixed bag. There may be some people who have a little more um, luck and privilege than others, but everybody has a mixed bag of ups and downs. And I like to think of it like being in the ocean. Um, I'm a Southern California girl. So a lot of my analogies have to do with the beach, but the waves will keep coming. And if we act like life is supposed to be this like calm, peaceful, no movement, we're going to be a little put off when the first wave comes over and we're going to be really put off when the waves keep coming over. So I think if we think about life like an ocean and just realize the waves will keep coming, it's about knowing how to ride them. When you do get sucked under a wave, you're not supposed to fight against it. You're supposed to kind of go with the current and trust that it'll pass. And it's scary. I have been sucked under waves before. I've been sucked up in riptides before. It's extremely scary. Um, I try to avoid it at all costs. I certainly don't recommend it, but fighting against it makes it worse. If you can sort of become one with the wave and recognize the cycle of the wave, it becomes easier to pop your head back out. And I think that when we can normalize the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs, we can begin to balance out the way that we acknowledge each. I think that for many of us, we, we acknowledge one over the other and maybe all we see are the negatives and I think that it's really important to continually look at both and to see that the highs and lows ultimately balance out in the middle. So I hope that this is helpful. Um, and if I can encourage you by uh, telling you that I can say with absolute confidence, you are not the only person to feel defeated. You are not the only person to struggle. Everybody 
has times of feeling defeated and struggling. And I can tell you that, um, you'll hear snippets of it in different guest interviews throughout this year, because it's come up a few times. There's been a lot of, um, off camera conversations where I've just talked one-on-one with several of our, uh, the podcast guests and several other entrepreneurs. I've just had personal conversations and I can tell you that, It is a very regular occurrence to have conversations about pity parties and struggle and defeat. Um, So I hope that you are encouraged in that and knowing that this is just a regular part of life. I hope that these tips help you have more successful pity parties and therefore have more success. Um, Would love to hear how you celebrate your pity parties. What do you do? Uh, do you do ice cream? Are you a ruffles and onion dip person like myself? Um, are there other tips that work for you that I did not share? Would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at embrace the ish at gmail.com or hang out with us online at successfulish.com or Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at embrace the ish. Success and failure, not on opposite ends. Curveball hits, gotta know what it been. The attitude will affect destination. And if you determines when you're gonna make it. Live between successes, makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Live between successes, makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Hey, successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. I'm successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve Successfulish Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete Successfulish Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see Successfulish Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve Successfulish Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve hey. All this weight on my arms need both flex In this race, but behind me, most steps Had a sort of learning curve, hope I don't crash Hit your nerves when reserves got low cash When I fail, realize that it won't last You made it through in the past, just look back successfulish you can see how the contrast fails and wins use the past and the bounce back you can never win if you never go and do it Failure is a hard road rarely ever cruising embracing all my wins with a handful of losing expect the drought season when the plan's going fluent i can never really feel it's all how you view it it's all a lesson just depends how you use it get all the data and keep it all exclusive never ending journey and the growth is therapeutic my identity is not in what you see i am the better me mistakes others make i see happy teaching me compare yourself to others is an insult to tragedy we will make unique gotta use again collectively broke down my goals in a few look Toesome. Can't take them back cause you already spoke them Easily regressive, you don't stay focused Focus, live between success every moment Successfully Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete I'm successfulish Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see I'm successfully Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve Successfulish Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve I'm successfulish Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete Successfulish Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successfully. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve.